Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child, and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. The, uh, the text we, that was just read for us had to do with the, the uh, disciples, the ones who were closest to Jesus, called apostles. And these men, even though they were good men and Jesus had selected them specifically because they had a great job ahead of them, sometimes became very petty in their disposition. And at this time it says there, there was a reasoning among them and that they were wondering who was the greatest. <laughs> that to me sort of strikes me as extremely odd about these men. Here are men who were in contact with Jesus and yet they were, they were petty and they were small-minded. They were arguing among themselves who was the best, who was the greatest. Now, that's not enough. Here's something else. This was just one time that this happened. It happened two more times. On three different occasions, these men got into squabbles about who was the greatest. Mark chapter 10 at verse 35 through 37 says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him saying, Master, we would that you should do unto us whatsoever we shall ask. And and he said, well, what would you that I should do to you? And, and they said, uh, grant us that we may set one on thy right hand and one on thy left hand in your glory. In addition to that, uh, they, it says, the matter, matter of fact, verse 41 tells us later, it says uh, that the, those, the others who heard it, the other ten, began to be much, much displeased with James and John. Jesus said unto them, uh, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So he was just pointing them out to the fact that this is not the way we act in the kingdom. This is the way people act in, in the Gentile world. And he said, It will not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whosoever you will be chief shall be servant of all. So there, there was some other con uh, con conversation that went on during this time between this, these texts. But the upshot of the whole thing was that they wanted to be exalted. They wanted to sit on the right hand, the left hand of Jesus in his kingdom. They even brought their mama in and asked her to ask them. And this is found in Matthew chapter 20. They brought their mother. And the mother asked the same thing. We, I want our, my sons, if you will, I want my sons to sit on the right hand and the left hand. That's the second time it happened. You'd think that'd be enough. Just before Jesus died in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, the text tells us that there was a strife among them. They were arguing. The twelve apostles that set forth the terms of the kingdom of God that wrote the New Testament, there was a squabble. They were having a squabble. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? He said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, 
And they that exercise authority upon them shall be called benefactors. But you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he that is the chief, as he that does serve. For whether is it greater, he that sits at meat, or he that serves, is not he that sits in meat, but I am among you as he that serves. So Jesus actually in these texts, and, and there's another one along the same line, where he said the least shall be called the greatest. But he gave them four different distinctions of uh, greatest. He said, first of all, he said the least will be greatest. In these texts we've read that. The second point he made was the greatest will be the one who serves, not the one who has served. And on one occasion he said the last shall be first. And then he, then he also told him in order to illustrate this, he took a little child and he said, you have to be just as humble as this little child if you want to be great. Okay. Matthew 18.4 is the text that says, Whosoever will humble himself as this little child, he, the same shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the desire to be the greatest is not was not uh, restricted to that age and time. Matter of fact, the longer we live and the more we see in our society and in others and in the history of this world, the more we see people wanting to be the greatest. They want to be the greatest, whatever it might be. They want to be acknowledged as the greatest from a sense of self-importance. I want to be the greatest because I'm consumed with me, myself, and I. It's me. And I want you to acknowledge me as being the greatest. I want that acknowledgement. And as a matter of fact, I, I, I want to acknowledge that with myself. And so I develop a sense of egotism or egoism. Those two words are the same, mean the same thing. It means that we're self-absorbed. We're conceited. We're arrogant. We think that we are better than everybody else and they were, that we're greater than everybody else. And uh, that does not mean that we should not have some sense of, of confidence, self-confidence, or self-respect, but to think that we're the greatest, you know, that, that's, a, that's a thought that it, it's hard, really, it's hard to even comprehend. How these men would think, even, and they, they were just among the twelve, this, the twelve of them, they said, I want to be the greatest of the twelve. Easy enough, huh? They didn't say, I want to be the greatest of the 100,000 people around you. I don't want to be the greatest in the Roman Empire. I want to be the greatest among the 12. But we, we, we're, we're to the point in our thinking, and we see it all the time on television, hear it, see it in society, where we want to be the greatest of whoever, whatever, whenever. We want to be the tallest we want to be the broadest. We want to consume all the air around us because we want to feed our ego. Now I'm saying we. I'm just using that as an expression of society. Now, when the ego is fed with pride, then it raises a very ugly head. Doesn't look nice. Doesn't look good. When we become egocentric, when everything is all about us, and when we feel like we're better than or even greater than, then it, it draws a pretty ugly picture. 
Now, the, the Bible is full of references and recommendations for us to keep a lid on this sort of attitude. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, one you're probably very familiar with, pride goes before destruction, the haughty spirit before fall. So you can't stay up there very long. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. And then there's some warnings in the New Testament, and, and sometimes they're couched among other terms that kind of take our attention away from these particular problems. For instance, Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus was talking about the things that arise out of the heart. And so he said, From within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride. Oops, this one kind of slipped in there. Pride. Something that we're all guilty of if we're not careful. Pride and foolishness. Now there's some Bible examples that we have of individuals who just got bigger than themselves in their own mind. One was Nebuchadnezzar. He was, as a matter of fact, the most powerful king that had ever lived. He was the greatest. God made him the greatest. And he raised him up and, and developed his kingdom so that he could do a particular job for him. But you know what? Nebuchadnezzar got the idea that it was him. He was doing it. It was himself. And so all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar felt like, hey, I'm the greatest. Greatest what? Well, the greatest king that's ever lived. Not the greatest softball pitcher. Not the greatest tiddlywink champion. I'm the greatest king that ever lived. And so it says that he had a dream. And Daniel interpreted the dream for him in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. It says, The king spoke and said, Is this not the great Babylon that I've built? For the house of my kingdom, by the might of my power, and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it spoken, the kingdom is departed from you. God went out in the wilderness, almost went crazy. God brought him back later. Saul was another one that wasn't, wasn't just proud and wasn't just thinking that he was the greatest of all, but as a matter of fact, he, he got to the point that, that when he, he was challenged by anyone, then his jealousy arose. Now that's the problem with pride, isn't it? When you get proud, when you start getting proud of yourself and boastful and arrogant, all of a sudden you get jealousy, jealous because somebody rises up that may take that away from you, take the spotlight off of you and put a little light on somebody else. That's what happened with Saul, the first king of Israel. These are Bible examples. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 and 9, it says, came to pass when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines. David was a captain of the host. It said that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tablets and joy with instruments of music. So they came out to the returning warriors. Remember the ticket ticket uh, tape parade that happened when the heroes came back from World War II? That's what happened with these guys. 
women were singing and they were singing and dancing and making music and, and it said uh, as they played they said Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands oh oops here, here came the business of jealousy now Saul was okay until they said David was better then it said Saul was very mad and the saying displeased him and he said they have ascribed unto David ten thousands to me they have ascribed but thousands and what can he have more but the kingdom and Saul eyed David from that day forward self appraisal and self confidence went beyond that the disposition of being the greatest leads to an attitude of arrogance and conceit it does we call it getting the big head Getting too big for our britches is not attractive. Romans chapter 1 verse 30 says that the evil people, the people that he was discussing, were backbiters. They were haters of God. They were despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents. Now, I'm not getting on to anybody here, anybody in the sound of my voice, about being proud. That's not my point. What I'm talking about is the tendency that we can get that way if we're not careful and here's the here's the danger involved in it second timothy chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 talks about the last days which we of course we're living in but paul told timothy he said know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come men shall be lovers of their own selves now that sounds like pride sounds like the person who says i'm the i'm the best of all time They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It's one thing to proclaim our own abilities and our own significance, and it's entirely another one for somebody else to say it about us. So somebody may, may think that uh, you are the best that they've ever seen. But that's one thing. The next thing that's dangerous is for you to think that. For you to believe your own press. That's the problem. Now arrogance appears all the time now in our, our society and has for a long time. Arrogance appears all the time with our superior athletes. And some of them even boast that they're the greatest. Greatest ever. Fastest man in the world. Strongest man in the world. Strongest woman in the world best tennis player in the world all this all of a sudden we have athletes and we're encouraging them to say things like that. we're encouraging them take advantage of it accept the fact acknowledge the fact that you are the greatest well that's not that's not good for them it's not good for us entertainers the same way politicians we know politicians that say that they're the greatest intellectuals i'm the smartest i have more wisdom than anyone else the wealthy elite, even this comes up, I'm the richest, I have, I have the most toys, I have the best things in this world. Even though most of their success and good fortune actually comes from talents that, that they didn't develop themselves, they were God-given or simply happenstance. Arrogance leads to envy and jealousy that claims that I am better than you are. That's what was happening with these men that were with Jesus. 
They had a strife among them. They were arguing among themselves about who was best among them, who was the greatest. What I would like to do this morning is to take you through a um, study of what it takes to be the greatest. If you want to be the greatest, I, I doubt if you're here. I don't know if anybody hearing me wants to think that they're the greatest, but just think with me now. Let's talk about what it would take for someone to be the greatest of anything. Greatest of anything. Strongest person in the world? The greatest ever? The greatest slugger in baseball ever? The greatest quarterback? The greatest entertainer? The greatest one who represents Shakespeare the best? The greatest of whatever? What would it take to be the greatest? Let's look at it. I've got five points I want you to follow with me. If a person wants to be the greatest, they have to be peerless. That means that there can be no one else ever in the past, present, or the future that can supersede them. Can you imagine being the greatest ever never can be a rival. Nobody else can challenge me. I am the greatest. That's it. It's a done deal. In the arenas of physical prowess, in the role of military leadership, the greatest general, the greatest commander, there have been both all down through history have made that claim. And what happened? Somebody else came along and pretty soon and so we have arguments, opinions going on. Who's the who's the best who's the best pitcher ever in professional baseball? So there's early arguments along that line. But the point is, in order to be the greatest ever, you have to be peerless. Nobody else can challenge that. In art, in academic circles, in musical talent, in the medical field, in politics, in sports. When you make that statement, when you think of, think about that, you have to think in terms of no rivals, ever, ever, no rivals. I remember something, just to give an illustration. Many of you may have remembered this, of course, we're all young enough to remember this. Back in 1999, in the past decade or past century, the, the object in track and field was to break the four-minute mile. You ever hear about that? Breaking the four-minute mile is like breaking the sound barrier. Roger Bannister, Bannister made it. He broke the sound barrier. He broke the mile, the running mile, in 1999. Four-minute mile. Greatest ever. 1,600 individuals have done it since and even, even superseded it. So he really wasn't the greatest. I don't know who the greatest is going to be. That's the point. You can't have a peer if you're the greatest. You can't have a challenger. You can't have a rival. It has to be a done deal. Okay. The next thing you need, if you're going to be the greatest of anything, is you have to be a universal greatest. You can't be a local greatest. You can't be the, the greatest one that ever lived in in uh, snow-capped Alaska, you have to be the greatest in the universe. 
You see what I'm saying? All right. This takes our concept of greatness to another dimension. It removes the constraints of locality and of geographical boundaries. In order to be the greatest, that person has to transcend limited ranges of influence and notoriety. It has to go beyond any restrictions that we have in the entire universe. Have to be the greatest in the entire universe. All right, language restrictions have to be removed. It's not just the greatest on American soil. It's not just the greatest of those who speak English. It's not just the greatest of those who speak the Urdu language. It's not the greatest of those in India, in Africa, in Asia Minor. It's got to be the greatest universally. And it has to cut across every boundary so that everyone in all these geographical unlimited places have to recognize that that individual that claims to be the greatest is indeed the greatest without a peer it can't be limited in any way it has to be everywhere the greatest person must be recognized by the broadest measure of humanity their renown must overcome languages Dialects, cultures, norms, demography, it has to be unrestricted. So, you just think about that. What are the 300, three and a half billion people now? I don't know how many have lived before, but there are three and a half billion people on this earth right now. And to be the greatest, you would have to be greater than all the other 300 billion somewhere. Think in terms of a U.S. president. We, we have the uh, Rushmore Monument where you have four presidents, the features of four presidents, have other presidents who've been, who've been featured and so forth. We say, well, look, this is the greatest leader of all time. Well, in America, maybe. Maybe the greatest. But how about the greatest in Great Britain? How about in France? How about in Germany? How about in Russia? How about in India? How, how about all these? You see what we're saying? When you say greatest, the greatest, it has to be expanded so that it includes all cultures and all societies at all ages. And not only that, it has, the greatest has to be, that individual has to be relevant. In other words, it cannot, when you say you're the greatest, it cannot bring up the idea of who cares? Who cares? For instance, somebody has stacked more paper cups than anybody in the whole world. They have the Guinness record of it. You know what? Who cares? <laughs> somebody sets another world record, skipping rope for a length of time. Who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make? How does it affect you? How does it affect you? What does that individual who is the greatest mean to the common person or even to the extraordinary person? What does it mean? How does it affect you or impact you or impact the other three and a half billion people on earth? You follow? The greatest ever has to be relevant. Not just someone who has achieved some degree of success in some particular isolated, limited manner or fashion. 
Who cares who holds the world's batting record? Who cares who's the fastest this is a softball pitcher? Who cares, as a matter of fact, if people do things that does not impact anybody else? Okay. Let me give you another illustration. There was a man in the 4th century called Simeon. Later he was, called, he was from Aleppo. And, and he was later called Simeon the Stylite. You ever heard of him? You know what your action should be? Who cares? <laughs> who cares who Simeon the Stylite was? You know what he did? He sat on top of a pier or a pillar, 50 feet tall, never came down for 37 years. He's got the record. Who cares? <laughs> what difference does it make? Doesn't make any difference at all. So when you're going to be the greatest, he was the greatest stylite sitter of all time. <laughs> Who cares? A lot of questions come up in your mind, I'm sure. They didn't mind when I heard about it. What, how did he stay up there? Well, there were little guys down below that usually sent up buckets of food for him. So he'd send a rope down and send up buckets. That, that wasn't all the problem he had. Anyway, that, that's the point that we're trying to make. When you're going to be the greatest, you have to be relevant. And when you're going to be the greatest, you have to be irreplaceable. No one could take the place or take over for the individual who is the greatest. There can't be a stand-in. There can't be an imposter. There can't be a fraud. There can't be a substitute. If that person were to disappear from this earth, what difference would it make? If you're the greatest, you are irreplaceable, and it makes a difference. It will make a difference. Now, when you die, when you die, you'll leave a little hole in this universe. You will. I will too. But you are irreplaceable. You are replaceable. Somebody else can fill that hole. Somebody else can take your place. Somebody else will do what you were doing. You follow? If you're the greatest, however, you're irreplaceable. This world will suffer damage that it will never recover from it. If you're gone, think about it. If you're the greatest, that's what it takes. You have to be irreplaceable. You can't have a stand-in. You, uh, you can't have somebody else in the picture. There will be irreparable harm that will result in your absence. Unrecoverable harm. Irreplaceable. That's what the person has to be. A substitute won't suffice. Society will suffer great damage. All of humanity will be diminished, made less, if the greatest disappears. Okay? And the last thing is, you have to be transparent. People have to see who you are. You can't be sneaky and be the greatest. You can't be off in the corner and be the greatest. You have to be seen. You have to be visible. Completely visible. The greatest person would have to be transparent. Every facet of their life would have to be examined and seen for what it is. Can't be a mean person. 
Can't be a little person, can't be a small person, can't be an insignificant person. It can't be a traitor, it can't be a deceptive person. It has to be someone who's completely transparent with genuine character that would be imperative so that nothing could take away from their greatness. No blot, no stain on their character. Honesty would be a prerequisite. You can't dig up some dirt on them somewhere. The greatest in all times has to be transparent and has to be good. Has to be good and not, not in any way damage those that are around them. All failure would be highlighted. Any moment of weakness would be exploited. Honesty would be a prerequisite. Any hint of deception or cheating to attain greatness, and you know that's, that's what happens. I've got to give you another illustration to tell you what I'm talking about. In uh, 1999, the uh, tour racing, bicycle tour racing, was a big thing in this country and in other countries. And the Tour de France was a big, was a big contest of, of tour racing, bicycle racing. And one man by the name of Lance Armstrong won the Tour de France seven times in a row nobody else had ever won it before or after. The greatest bicycle, bicycle tour bicyclist ever. But he cheated. The man cheated. You see what I'm talking about? You can't be the greatest and cheat to get there. You have to be transparent. He was discovered doping his blood. You know what that means? Okay, if you don't know what it means, don't ask me. But I know what it means. It means putting putting a, putting different uh, elements that would strengthen his blood and blood transfusion. He was taking those blood transfusions and also putting putting uh, drugs in it that would enhance his physical abilities. He was caught, gave up all of his crowns. The personal life of the most notorious individuals from the Greek philosophers to the talented artists, inventors, philanthropists have been discovered because their personal lives have not lived up to their fame. There can be no buts and no excuses for failure of character or reputation because if that happened, you wouldn't be the greatest. To this end, I'm going to suggest something to you. I know who the greatest is. Let's see if I can get back here. Go back, go back, go back. Jesus. Jesus is peerless. There's none like him. There was none like him before. I'm talking about his character, about who he is. Was none like him before, none like him at that time, none like him since. He is peerless. He has no rival, none. You say, well, how about Buddha? He, what do you know about Buddha? What do you know about his personal life? The point is, there is no rival. What about Muhammad? He was a man that lived in the, I think, about the ninth century of our era. 
he had uh, problems in his home life. Well, anyway, what we're talking about is the fact that there's no one individual that you can recognize from history that is peerless as Jesus is. He has no rival. He is peerless. And he is universal. Everyone knows about him. You know, the Apostle Paul said something in Romans chapter 10 that, that I, when I first read it, I thought, that's, that's a very interesting statement. He said that their word had gone out to the whole world. He talked about the gospel. And the gospel was the message about Jesus Christ. Went out into the whole world. And that's where Jesus is recognized. He's recognized everywhere. All over the world. People hear about him everywhere. He's universal. He's not stuck somewhere down in, in the single, shingle roof, Arkansas. He's everywhere. He's all over the world. Everybody hears the, the name of Jesus. They know him. They know him. He has a universal reputation. And he is relevant. Think about it just a minute. How relevant is he in your life? What does he do in your life? Let's think about what would happen if we just took him out. Just subtracted Jesus altogether and said, okay, no more Jesus. What would happen to society? What would happen to the world? I know what would happen. We'd fall into a gaping black hole of immorality, indecency, sin, and destruction. And we'd disappear. We certainly would. Jesus is more than those. And he's irreplaceable. Who will take his place? Who can stand up and, and do what he does? Who can do what he does in anybody's life? How can he affect anybody? How can anybody affect your life like he does? And he's transparent. We know who he is. I'm not talking about the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the word in the New Testament that talks about the different things we have to do. I'm talking about his character. What about the character of Jesus? What do we know about him? When we look at him, he's so transparent. Was there anything deceptive about him? Was there anything that takes away from his magnitude? I would suggest to you that there is not a thing that Jesus did that would put a block or a stain on his character that would take away from the fact that he is indeed the greatest. Now, to this end, I suggest to you the individuals that should be in your life. Should be in your life. Now, Jesus does not stoop down to live on your level. Jesus reaches down and pulls you up onto his level as a friend. When you leave this building this morning, he won't walk out in front of you and, and get ahead of you so that you don't know where he is. He's going to stay with you. He's going to walk with you. He'll stay right with you. When you get sad, he's going to be there. He may not say a lot to you while you're sitting and, and weeping and mourning for losses, but he's there. He's there like a good friend that just is there. He's there. And when you find yourself stuck off in the corner like the wallflower at a high school dance, he won't leave you there. He includes you. He makes sure that you're part of his entourage. He won't sit and eat and feast with the mighty. He'll feast with you. He'll have you at his table. When you talk about a friend, he is your friend. And he is the highest 
He is the greatest. He's the most wonderful friend you'll ever have because He is your Savior. He is. Do you agree with me that He's the greatest? And let Him in your life and keep Him in your life. When you get up in the morning and start your day, start it with Him. When you go out into the sunlight, go out with Him. Walk with Him. Don't tag along behind. Walk with Him. When you climb a mountain of difficulty, He won't go ahead. He'll stay behind and walk with you and make sure you get to the top. When you walk down in the, in the dark alleys of despair, don't worry. He, he brings the light. He brings the flashlight that you didn't bring when you go through that dark place. He brings the light. He'll walk with you during the darkest moments of your life. Remember this. He's the greatest. He's the greatest because He loves you. He loves you. And you should love Him. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.